Aloha! And welcome to the Measure of an Episode, where it is our continuing mission each week to explore what makes a Star Trek episode a proper Star Trek episode and not just, man, I don't know, a character introspective... <laughs> I'm Paul. The criteria by which we judge these episodes is, number one, does it contain science fiction? Is there an element or exploration of science fiction in this in, in the episode? Number two, is this science fiction novel or unique in some way? Is it, is it expressed in, in any kind of novel way? Or, no, not or. And number three is another criteria that is, ah, morality. <laughs> Morality. Is there an element of morality in the episode, whether it is addressed or a, a conundrum, if you will, by a character or in terms of the entire plot line being? Anyway, this is taking way too long. I'm Paul. And I'm Jonathan. And we try to keep those criteria as succinct as possible. Um, <laughs> and this week, if you remember from last week's episode, we watched 30 Days, which is episode nine of season, season five. I almost said season five. Season five of Voyager. And the blurb says, In a letter to his father, Tom Paris tells the story of the events leading up to his demotion to Ensign and his sentence to 30 days in Voyager's brig. It just <laughs> felt like it needed to be said that way. Um, I will say you kind of hit the nail on the head because uh, specifically the music in this episode and kind of just the, I don't know, the bummer that Tom Paris has that's kind of out of nowhere uh, it, it kind of nailed. It felt like something my parents would watch on the BBC, whatever. Where it's just, it's I don't know. Like there's a guy sitting on a bench, just being sad, and the music is just like a flute <laughs> right. and a, like a string pad, it's just like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, and I'm just like, oh, God, is this a Star Trek episode? What's going on? We'll always have Paris. Unfortunately. <laughs> right? I know. They seemed like they really wanted to get rid of him in this episode. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, are we done with the intro yet? Yeah. It, I mean, we, and we... so I, I just want to say, like, it's just starting off right out of the bat. Um, yes, this is a Star Trek episode. Like, I mean, it, it absolutely hit everything. You mean that, a proper Star Trek? Yeah, episode. sorry. <laughs> yes, this is a Star Trek episode because it says so in the title, and that's what the like that's what we do on this podcast. So that's why we watched it. Um, yes, yeah, it absolutely is a proper Star Trek because it most definitely and solidly ticked off all the boxes. But it was like it was like the writers also were like, okay, how can we make this a Star Trek episode? Here is a sci-fi situation and here it is unique and we have this moral and ethical dilemma okay great we did that now let's write the episode and it was just so it was like i don't know there it it was just so boring but it's not it It was bland yeah that yes thank you it was bland it was bland and this is the second episode that we've seen i don't remember which one came first but there was another episode where neelix is recounting the story by telling it Right. And there were, I guess, supposedly there was not supposedly there was less of Tom Paris kind of voice there. I don't even remember if there was voiceover of him recounting in this letter to his dad what was happening in real time. There was so yeah. there was yeah. So I I don't know why there is this uh, I this impulse to tell stories this way because if you were to completely delete start the flashback or start the episode right at the flashback we we win back nothing. Right, because 
all we get, I mean, you could, I mean, I guess it would make for kind of a bad ending, I guess, but you can write it any way you want. I just don't understand the part where you have to start it at the end of the, of the thing that happened to entice us to watch the whole episode. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're essentially giving you this, this dramatic event out of context and saying, Ooh, don't you want to keep watching everybody? Well, yeah. And this time around, there wasn't there was nothing else in the cold open. He was sentenced to the brig and then the titles. And so like, it wasn't even, we, we literally knew nothing about it. Like you stop there and be like, Oh, sad for Paris. All right, let's see what else is on. But the, the, so I will speak to like the writing side of it. Uh, the episode, <laughs> the episode was 10 minutes short and they had to figure out what to do with it. And so they came up with doing it in flashback and actually having it be a little bit more on Paris's side rather than um, uh, just telling it straightforward. That's interesting. I mean, I guess that that sucks that they had to artificially augment the episode in time with mm-hmm. this thing. I wonder how often that happens. I guess maybe they, they felt that – because normally you have way too much episode. Right. They must have cut some big moment. They must have cut something out of it because I feel like very rarely do you shoot an episode and end up with not enough episode. Normally you're making – a lot of sacrifices to cut out stuff because sorry, you know, this right. was the scripting runtime. Like when they were Oh, yeah. so they hadn't shot it yet. Just the script, it was not long enough. Right. So add right. some stuff. Right. Why why did you have to <laughs> to copy and paste the end and put it at the beginning? It's like, well, we added stuff. Now it's it's right. Yeah, but it's the same material. You just took it from the end and put it at the beginning. Well, and what's funny too is the, the writers actually said they uh the, the stuff that they inserted, they enjoyed more because it had to do more with the character side of things. And I'm, I'm inclined to agree. Like the, I feel like the moments with the doctor and with Kim in the brig, uh, kind of calling Paris out on his, on his behavior and his personality, like were, were better than what was happening with him in the flashback. No, disagree? I, I just, I, well, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I would have to see it without the stuff that they put in for time. I felt like why why not beef up the science fiction part of your science fiction show as opposed to making it this character study mm-hmm. that yeah. really has no effect on on the actual plot. Right. They they sort of created this I I guess I mean they didn't create it. He has always Paris has always had trouble with his dad. They've always had a weird relationship. Uh-huh. But why not give him something to talk about that is inherent and endemic to the actual plot instead of having this whole other, I guess what you could call it, a B-plot, where he's now troubled about his dad that really isn't even necessarily... I mean, I guess he has that dream where they they juxtapose his dad telling him he's no good and he has to join Starfleet when he's, you know, seven years old. And then... <laughs> and I don't know if you caught this. They also juxtapose that with Janeway sentencing him to 30 years in the brig. Right. To, or to whatever, to solitary confinement. Yeah. Did you hear her say that? I had to rewind it to make sure... She said 30 years. Yes. I thought it was yeah. an interesting nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I felt like it, it – I didn't care about that. And I, I felt like I didn't care about it because it wasn't really – it was something they tacked on and expected me that just because he's sad and the music is sad that I'm automatically going to start caring. Right. And I, I didn't. I was more interested in the actual science fiction of the show, uh, which we can get into later, that – and I, I appreciated Tom's sort of activist stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. And – that had nothing to do with him being sent to the brig and him wanting to write a letter to his dad. Right. I mean, I got the impression he did that, not like he was wanting to do it for a long time and didn't have the time, and he finally found the time. He was so bored that's like, what, what else can I do? I know, I'll write a, a letter to my dad. 
Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And it was, I mean, having nothing but time and being in jail for a second time, I could totally see him doing that, you know, taking that opportunity to be like, well, uh, you know, kind of what he said, like uh, kind of what he said at the end, but um, just doing it to to kind of explain to his dad why he did it. So at least that way he would understand and just, you know, not think like, oh, my, my kids are screw up again. Um, but uh, on the flip side of that, like, I feel, I feel like if you're, if you're trying to impress your dad by explaining why you're in jail, you've kind of already lost. Yeah. You shouldn't lead with it. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in jail, but let me explain why. And you'll, you know, (laughs) well, it would have been, what if you did it like this? Because part of this, this podcast, we don't just review and perhaps analyze these episodes. We try and make them a little bit better too. Maybe some ideas, some, some suggestions. So why not, instead of definitively showing that he's in the brig, why not just show him kind of sitting down in a close-up in a vague area, and he, you start off, like the first thing you see, it's over black, is Dear Dad, right? And then it pops up to, to Paris looking shaven. And then as he tells the story, he becomes less shaven, a little bit more disheveled. He's in his T-shirt, his uh, standard-issue Starfleet, t- Starfleet T-shirt. So as his story progresses... We, we're starting to think, oh, why is he getting kind of worse and worse physically? And then by the end, we see the pullback that he's been thrown into the brig for 30 days, and he's chosen not to take care of himself. And that would be at least a little bit more interesting as, sort of, as the reveal as to the punishment for, his, for him being insubordinate. So I'm actually going to take it one step further than that. Uh, what if it actually takes place in the future? <laughs> Where everyone has starships. I've got, um, some, got, got some news for you <laughs> on that front. Um, quick side note. There, <laughs> there's, there was a, a Reddit where the person said, like, whose idea was it <laughs> to add, uh, add two extra months in the middle of the year to make September, October, November, December, not the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th month of the year? Whoever thought of that should be stabbed. And the response was, have I got some excellent news for you? (laughs) That's brilliant. I know. What an opportunity. (laughs) Right? That is a a once-in-a-millennia opportunity that somebody was able to to take advantage of. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Unless it was a whole setup, I know I mean, it almost seems too perfect to not be a setup, right? But, right. Man, but yeah, if it's not, man, kudos to that guy. I know. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, that was. I definitely enjoyed that. Anyway, um, hang on. Let me. That will never happen again. Right. Ever. <laughs> um. Okay. So so the idea is um, that it's actually in the future when the subspace messages are now in close enough range that they can be delivered. And his dad actually does receive the letter and he is sending it from the Delta flyer saying, I am about to be um, charged with whatever, um, insubordination, uh, um, violating the prime directive. um, And, you know, so whatever, like, Whatever all those things were, you know, so he's like, I am at the very least going to the brig, if not completely decommissioned. But before I go, I wanted you to hear my side of the story. So now we're being told it from the Delta flyer and we actually don't know 
what the end result is going to be. Um, that would be cool. And you could, you could set it up in such a way where it's not clear that Voyager ever gets back, that somehow he's gotten this message right after his death or before his death. We, we don't know. So you don't, you're not spoiling the end of the show necessarily, but that, yes, you start out with the dad picking up this message that comes, that comes in. Yeah. Well, and it also raises the stakes a little bit more for Tom and the, the alien Riga, Riga. Um, because in this episode, you know, when they're talking about how they're going to fire on the Delta flyer, it's like, oh gosh, are they going to be okay? Well, this is a flashback and Paris is in the brig. So yeah, they're going to be okay. Like it just eliminates that level of tension. Uh, whereas, you know, kind of what you're saying, like if we, if this is sent and we don't know if Voyager made it back or not, like the, the attention is actually still gonna be pretty high. Like we assume that Janeway's not going to fire on Paris, but we don't know. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's, Let's get into the episode. There's a lot. There's kind of a lot to talk about, surprisingly, because um, it is kind of a thin narrative, I guess. Um, not thin. It's just I can tell that they ran out of time. Right. No, that they had too much, a surplus of time. <laughs> they were trying to figure out what to do with it. And they put in too much Paris retrospective, so they ran out of right. time. So they show us kind of an abridged version. They start out, the whole thing starts out with an abridged version of Paris's demotion and and they throw him into the brig, and we're like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, and we don't know, you know, Par- Paris is visited by Neelix, who gives him his rations, and he asks for a, you know, a pad, as they call it, P-A-D-D, uh-huh. personal assistant digital device. Oh. No, I, I made that up. <laughs> I'm surprised I could come up with a, <laughs> I could reverse engineer it. I don't know what it stands for. I think it does have a, a – I think PAD is a acronym though. I think so too. Yeah. I was just um, – Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, no, I have no idea. I have no idea what they stand for. I made it up. <laughs> but that is not the acronym. Anyway. Personal uh, Person authorized to direct – nope, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, personal access display device. There you go. Yeah. I mean pretty close to yours. Yeah, that all means the same thing. Right. Anyway, okay, and then we get to my favorite part of this whole episode, by far. Captain Proton? My favorite part, Captain Proton. Wow. If there there was ever anything I could just watch episodes and episodes of, I I don't, I just, it's, I'm glad it just wasn't this long extended thing. Mm -hmm. But, so after, so after that happens with Harry Kim, Ensign Kim, and who's going to come back later in this, by the way, this is all subterfuge. Let me just. Let me just give you that, okay? Remember Ensign Kim for later. Okay. So after – so they get called to the bridge and they say you – know, they're walking down the thing. And they're talking about who Ensign Kim likes of the two twins. And Tom Paris proceeds to have the most misogynistic conversation <laughs> that has ever existed in Star Trek. <laughs> he basically says that – because Kim likes one of the twins. Uh-huh. And, and that twin doesn't like him back. But one of the uh, the other twin likes Harry Kim. Can you imagine? <laughs> what a st- what a great episode this might make. Anyway, <laughs> Tom Paris then just immediately says, "It doesn't matter. They look the same on the outside." <laughs> right. <laughs> That's basically what he says. And Kim's like, "What are you talking about, bro? Like there are microphones in here." Like, cancel. <laughs> He's saying out loud, "Like what are you talking about, bro?" And like giving him the like the the yeah. next slice of knock it off. <laughs> Um, so 
quick, I mean, we've talked about the twins before. This episode is the only time we ever see the twins. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh. So it wasn't a waste. <laughs> there was a, a, a payoff, I guess, to a certain extent, but... Okay, so yeah. this whole Captain... So, that, so for the listeners, what's happening is Tom Paris and Ensign Kim, the two twins, the, the Harrison Benson twins, they are acting Delaney? out an episode... Okay, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. They're acting out an episode of Proton, uh, Captain Proton, and... They're, it's not obviously not a defined narrative because in the middle – so they're all play acting. It's almost like they're giving a play for themselves, which – because they're like in character. And I always felt like – I don't know if I – if I had a, a holodeck, would I want to – is that how I would enjoy myself? Or would I want to sort of be a character that was myself interacting with a predefined plot that was kind of taking me along – on so just like watching a movie, except I'm in the movie and I don't know what's happening. Like I don't, but I don't have a script. They obviously have scripts that they're going off of that they're cause they, cause you know, Tom Paris tries to come in and save the day, which seems like it's the plot. Except Harry Kim says, uh, what are you doing, man? You're ruining the whole thing. This is the best part for me. And so there's, we're reading different scripts. I, I, I don't understand where the entertainment comes from and what the, what's the paradigm. Well, I think I think it's not unlike a murder mystery where you do come as a character and you have a general idea of what the plot is going to be, but you can have conversations that are completely um, off script and impromptu and all that kind of thing. And it's just for whatever reason, I mean, because Paris is Paris, like he went completely off script and Kim, you know, it's kind of like, this is why I don't like doing Captain Proton with you, especially when we bring in girls like you just. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it seems like Dixon Hill from Next Gen. Right. That makes more sense where, yes, he is a character. He's a predefined character and he kind of plays the part of the character. Mm -hmm. But he's it doesn't seem like he's ever following a script. He's sort of letting the narrative take him along. It's like, Dick, we need you to come down to the bar. You know, he's like, all right, I'll be right there. Right. (laughs) In case you were wondering, those were not the same character. Those were two separate, very separate characters talking to each other. Well, it sounded like Janeway and James Bond, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Yeah, that's exactly what was intended. But, and so that, that makes sense. This other thing doesn't make sense with Captain Proton. It seems like they're just kind of like they're three-year-olds or rather seven-year-olds kind of acting something out when they're playing, but don't really have any sense of what they're doing. They're just kind of enjoying the moment somehow. It's not really intellectually stimulating or inter- entertainment-wise. It's just kind of, oh, we're wearing the costumes. Let's beat swords together for a while, and then we'll go over here and do that again. You know what I mean? That's kind of what it felt, felt like. Well, yeah, and I think I think it totally depends on the number of people that you bring in. You know, like if it's Stuart or Picard all by himself, then the the computer is providing the narrative for him and he's following along. If it's four people, you know, or like eight people going in, then it's kind of here's the world where you can play and we will give you an objective, but how you get there is completely on your own. Yeah, I, that's fine. I just, I don't know. That's not how I would like to spend my holodeck. Well, then don't go with other people. Or with, why Why couldn't it just be something where we're both kind of in a narrative and have to solve a murder? Where we're both or, kind of in a narrative is also what happens with Data and, and LaForge, you know, when they're doing Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson. Like, absolutely that can happen. But I feel like the more people you get involved, the less the story is um, is forced upon you. 
you know, and it's more mm-hmm. of like it, it's more of a casual thing that the computer. I, I would I would guess, you know, I mean, I I don't think that the well, let me rephrase that. I absolutely think that it is just the writers kind of doing whatever they want in the holodeck because they can do whatever they want because they're the writers. But I think to like kind of explain it a little bit is just that it, it's just that like the more people that are involved, the less the less possible it is for you to keep the story going. I mean, I guess that maybe that's fun. Maybe that's what they liked. It's like play acting. It's like they were doing a play, right? Which maybe that's what it was for. Yeah, I maybe mean, that was the intention. Yeah, well, and and being the holodeck, you know, you can you can do both. Um, can I just tell you really quick? We're like ten minutes into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much to talk about. Clearly, <laughs> so far we've got letter writing and play acting. <laughs> Oh, this play was written by second graders. Got it. <laughs> this play, this episode. Same thing. Doesn't matter. It's all in crayon. <laughs> on a napkin. <laughs> Water planet. Daddy mad. It's brilliant. <laughs> he cracked it. Um, Little Timmy cracked it. Since we're segueing into that, actually, uh, that's that's how the plot developed. Um, there was somebody who said they want to do an episode that's based around a pl- uh, an ocean in space, and they loved the visual idea of that so much they tried to figure it out and they made this um, political episode, which we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, I guess I, so. So that's what drew me in to the science fiction. I felt like this idea of which they actually answered. They didn't even leave it kind of hanging, uh, but they just didn't explore it in the way that I wanted them to. Uh-huh. They, they kind of focused on this Tom Paris environmental whatever lecturing they wanted to give us. Yep. Yeah. And I, I felt like that was the most interesting thing. They have this water planet, which to me wouldn't be that kind of crazy to encounter. I mean, our planet is mostly water. Um, so, but but my point, my point being is that they, they found out that through, you know, the, okay, so to go through it, they meet this alien race. They f- the alien race thinks they're being attacked. They say they were not. Uh, they, they learn that there's this uh, crisis with their planet, that it's losing all of their water, and uh, we, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. And so they discover that there's this ancient device holding all the water uh, via some sort of gravitational whatever, and that is what's created this, this planet of water. And I was riveted i loved this stuff yeah and i was i was thinking to myself oh we get to now try and discover okay what who who made this thing why did they make it and why you know what drew the, it just the, it asked so many questions and then through sort of a 30 second monologue we get to know how it came to be and I was, it was kind of not it was not cathartic or, or satisfying no it was just an to, ancient civilization and why did they do it who knows right and that was it well, it wasn't it was a mystery asked that could have could have spent once again. We say this all the time. Could have spanned multiple episodes. Them trying to figure it out. Right. Right. I could imagine several episodes happening of they want to help this race because there's this huge crisis. They're all going to die. They have no way of evacuating their planet. They don't want to go. You know, they've been there for thousands of years or something like that. And so they have to find out. And, and they discover through a bunch of different you know mystery points that the Borg made it or what, whatever it could have been really interesting, but no, they just handle it in, in 30 seconds of dialogue and then get back to Tom Paris that, doing whatever. That would have been such a good thing if they had taken kind of your idea and gone in that direction where they were trying to find the original planet. And that could have given them kind of a, um, 
uh, history repeating itself thing. Like they they found the the planet. It's a dead planet, like because obviously all the water's gone, and um, and they find the computers and they're able to upload the messages. And it basically says like we we let our pride and our hubris get um to get the better of us, and you know we we open Pandora's box or whatever they did, you know, to, to launch that probe and move the water off. Um, and now we have nobody but ourselves to blame. And we hope that the, the next alien, whoever it is, does not make the same mistake we do. Um, you know, like letting politics get in the way. I mean, I, I got the impression this was not their home planet that they were doing this to just a, a random planet to harvest the water from that's the, the ancient that's civilizations. The, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. That it wasn't that I don't know why you'd ever want to do that to your home planet. <laughs> well, and what I what I took it as was like they it was just a uh, you know <laughs> they spent so time so much time thinking whether or not they could they didn't bother to ask whether or not they should. Once again, I'm confused. Like, were they making dinosaurs? <laughs> I, I don't understand. <laughs> you lost me. Yeah. So they find out that it was made by this ancient civilization, and I, I, and I was totally hooked. And then you're right. They turned it into this political thing where they started lecturing us. And, I mean, they, and that's where it lost me. Yeah, they right? they, pace, they basically like they could have turned to the camera and said, "If you don't stop drilling, you are going to kill the planet." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate it when they do that. And honestly, Star Trek doesn't often do that. They, right. They tend to kind of keep it agnostic in terms of politics. Yeah. But they're not that not didactic, right? Not. Yeah, exactly. So while there, there's this sort of Star Wars prequel moment when they're underwater and uh-huh. they encounter this giant electric eel. And I was thinking to myself, this looks exactly like the Phantom Menace when they're trying to escape and go through the planet core and try, you know, where they're being chased by bigger and bigger fish and everything. Right. And <clears throat> so it happens that the flyer, while it's exploring this ancient device, is attacked and then they spring a leak. And they have to, and Tom Paris, you know, goes over to where the leak has sprung and starts touching where the water is sort of slowly leaking in. So they're at like thousands of kilometers down underneath water. Mm-hmm. And they spring a leak. And let me just say, if you spring a leak and the pressure is that great, the 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 streams of water that are coming through those cracks in your vessel would literally slice through steel. Right. You wouldn't just be able to hold your finger over it. No. It would just yeah. cut your finger off immediately right so this thing where he's like oh, i'm gonna go fix it give, give, give me that rag over there <laughs> uh so that was a demerit on their science that, right. fiction. yeah 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 it, uh, so anyway that that whole but that whole ancient device sorry to keep going back to this it really reminded me of the dyson sphere from tng relics sure you know scotty episode and i was like oh this could be really cool and once again we talked about this in the relics episode where what a great opportunity to explore this very science fictiony idea uh-huh. that they just abandoned for the sake of the immediate plot, which right. wasn't that interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you, you saying that, like it, it would have been such a fun, like tie back if they had done something in next generation with that alien race. And then they talked about that same alien race here. Like, you know, that, that's how far reaching this alien race was. And how advanced they were, but they didn't. And maybe you, maybe you uncover that this race, the the race they encounter, may or may not have been responsible in some way, and it was just further political intrigue, that kind of thing. I mean, you could have done so much with with this idea, right? That they just kind of abandoned. It's too bad. They had such a good nugget of 
of science fiction. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyway, so uh, we get a, a visit from Ensign Kim to Paris when he's in the brig, oh, yeah. and Paris is kind of a meanie to him. Oh, but I love and, that Kim just gave it right back. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's nice. It was good. Yeah. He's like, what did you, what'd, what'd is, your dad always tell you? That you don't finish anything? Huh. And then drops the mic <laughs> and walks away. <laughs> I will say this is even further evidence of what we will reveal at the end of this. This is, this is all, as I said before, subterfuge. <laughs> what you are seeing is not what you are actually getting. Okay? I just want to throw that out there. Okay. okay. So then uh, Paris confronts the aliens about them ruining their planet. And then he winks at the audience immediately. <laughs> Janeway shoots him down. High five, Janeway. Yeah, Janeway shoots him down. And then uh, Paris goes and sulks in the holodeck where they have, like, once again, that kind of maudlin uh, music that just sounds so out of place. Not only for Star Trek, but just at the time, what would have been a modern show. Right. Just felt so kind of like late 70s science documentary when the penguin loses a child to a seal or something. <laughs> Yeah, well, and the the dialogue there had a had a moment that I'm I'm really sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> she walks in and she, uh, Balana walks in and says, "Here to stamp out intergalactic evil." And Paris gives it a moment, and then he says, "It's funny." And Balana says, "What?" And then he starts talking about you know how like he always wanted to have a cause, and now he's got one. Blah blah blah. But what I expected was well, what you just said, me being here to stamp out intergalactic evil. <laughs> But you didn't get that, did you? No, right. Yeah, I was, I was very disappointed that that's not where the direction that the dialogue went. Well, once again, we just try and make these episodes just a little bit better, you know? <laughs> okay, so then Paris decides to turn activist with the other alien guy, who I actually really liked. I liked this scientist, um, non-politician guy that the other politician alien guy brings with him everywhere. I just I really liked this character. Um, I felt like they weren't very alien. Like, for example, they kind of shake hands with the, the humans when they and they just didn't feel like they, they spent much time outside of them wearing bonnets of them being alien. Yeah, they just felt very human. They it, felt very it, human it, to me. Right. And it's something that kind of bothers me about Voyager in general. I don't know if like they were given that me- that note or if they just kind of they were like, eh, at this point we get it. But in the start, like every alien that they encountered was alien in nature. You know, like they, there were things that, that the, that Starfleet did that offended them or that they interpreted the wrong way in some way, um, you know, or there was some, some kind of, not necessarily a language barrier because the universal translator apparently literally is universe. But yeah, like they, they came on board and they started shaking hands. Like I really wanted them to do some kind of other physical gesture as a greeting. Um, yeah. Or just be totally either offended or confused by that kind of thing. Right. I mean, there is actually a Voyager episode where Neelix goes to talk to some alien race. And he, at the beginning, they, they make a point uh, to do all of these body gestures as part of their communication. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to learn these body gestures. And I felt like, okay, that seems realistic that there would be races where body language is very, very important. And at the forefront of communication, it's not just something that you into it peripherally right like it is for us right it is more of this it is their speech and so they do handle they do do that they just decided that and especially in a like why not insert some of that stuff when they have an episode apparently that was too short right instead of copying and pasting the ending onto the beginning it's like well we did it that was easy <laughs> and that's 10 minutes 44 minutes right <laughs> yeah 
So anyway, he turns activist, and they have that whole thing where it actually is a well-constructed scene where Paris and the guy are going to fire on the reactor or the oxygen generators, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're intercutting that between Voyager and Janeway going that are – it feels like they're going to shoot Paris yeah, because they've got ready a torpedo and blah, blah, blah. And that's what it feels like. And you see at, at the last minute they say, you know, three, two, one, fire. And they both shoot their missiles. And it turns out that Voyager was aiming for Paris's missile. And so it destroys the missile and apparently disables the flyer. And it's like, oh, that was kind of a nice little little shimmy there in, the, in what we thought was going to happen. They subverted our expectations of what was going to happen. I don't know. What did you think? Were you – did you know that was happening? Did I just miss something? No, but what I was confused by was like – so did did Paris – like ultimately do that for nothing like were the were the oxygen mining pods like ultimately not damaged in any way that's the impression i got that that his his efforts were totally quashed yeah okay so yeah, so so that the 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 aliens died shortly thereafter <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> but you know janeway followed the prime directive so no fault on right. her part again once again this is a great example of janeway strictly adhering to the prime directed until it's inconvenient to do so. Uh-huh. For her, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yet another, we should be keeping track of this. I know, we really should. Like, be, you know, kind of <laughs> have our B podcast of whether or not Janeway is consistent or, and we just don't like it, or if she really is just written for the episode based on what they need. I mean, they are that way with Picard, too. Picard is very adherent to the Prime Directive until he isn't. Mm-hmm. You know, he they, he does that stuff too. But I feel like when he does it, there there's either a better explanation or there's more internal struggle. You know, and well, I, he is a man. <laughs> but Janeway's so smart. <laughs> um, but no, genuinely, like you know, am I am I just not a fan of Voyager and Janeway, and so I feel like she's inconsistent, or did they write her inconsistent? And conversely, you know. Is Picard written just as inconsistently, but Patrick Stewart can portray it better, um, or is he written better? I don't know. This might be getting into subjective area, but it does feel like Picard is a better written character and a little bit more Mm three-dimensional than Janeway. And so when he does break the rules, it does feel like it's warranted because of the decisions he's making and predicated on. And so when Janeway does it, it just feels convenient because she feels a little bit less like she's been worked out. Right. And I don't, I don't, I, I think that's more of a writing thing than it is an acting thing. There, there was a scene where, um, where she was talking to Paris and she, that just, I was picturing Picard during the scene and it was where she was reprimanding Paris. And I feel like it would have been, had, had Picard done it, it would have been a little bit more like the scene with Jordy when he was trying to, when he violated the direct orders to go see his mom um, and where he's being reprimanded. And then before he leaves, Picard takes off his commanding officer hat, you know, and says like, I'm really sorry about your mom and, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And I, I feel like th- the scene where Janeway was reprimanding Paris, this should have been that same kind of scene, but instead she just came across as being being his commanding officer and not trying to sympathize with him at all until like she said I you know yes I agree with you but that was the end of it it's hard for me to remember specifically but it just it Come I mean, on, I felt Paul. like what that's what the whole podcast is about you should be remembering every moment 
Ah, <laughs> I'm disappointed. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I feel like maybe there were, it just it just feels like Janeway is co- just colder. Yeah, as a character. Yeah, she doesn't have. In, in terms of her affection for the crew, mm-hmm. yes, she says it at times, but doesn't really show it, I guess. Right. I just feel creepy, like, when she smiles. <laughs> so I, I, it doesn't – it doesn't – maybe just doesn't translate for me, and that's what's going on. But yeah. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Because you're right. It is sort of the same scenario. Right. You know? Right. But, yeah, maybe maybe it's just that. Maybe there's something about her her character that they don't – like that they don't give her the opportunity to relax in a way that looks like she's genuinely relaxing and having that kind of camaraderie. I mean, being stuck in the Delta quadrant, right? That's where it is. Or is it the gamma? No Delta. It is a Delta. Okay. Being stuck in the gamma, the, the Delta quadrant. <laughs> already getting it wrong. Being stuck in the Delta quadrant. Um, <laughs> like you would think I need to, yes, I need to be the captain, but I also need to connect with these people because I'm going to be spending 70 years with them. I don't think that there's even, even if you, have that epiphany about yourself and about your situation that you can just immediately, I mean, we're only five years into their, you know, they Mm -hmm. have 65 years left. And so she Mm -hmm. perhaps is in denial about that Mm. in terms of really connecting with her crew. Right. I mean, there are times where she behaves as though she has great affection for them and a great love and, and would sacrifice herself for them. But there are other times where it just doesn't seem like that she has that at all. Right. Her, just her attitude towards it, it doesn't it does not translate for me for some reason. Right. And maybe that will change as we watch more Voyager episodes. I think we've only seen twelve of them or something like that out of 178. So maybe that will will get a little bit more clarity on her attitude mm-hmm. as we go through. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the episode ends with as it began. Yep. With although we, we get a little bit more like back and forth. Twist. Paris ends up in the yeah. brig. <laughs> Well, what was weird about the two scenes, the beginning and the end, it's bookended by the, the scenes where he's being demoted. But they cut – in the beginning, they cut out this conversation that they have, which is kind of weird that they would truncate it in that way. It's not like we jump in mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. the conversation. We show the beginning and then the end at the beginning. But then at the end, we show this middle part that has way more – I mean, that actually felt a little bit more human to me. It felt more realistic. Right. Um, and so they demote him to ensign. Yes. And I don't actually, what was he before? Lieutenant? Yeah, I think so. So they demote him to ensign. And this is where the subterfuge is, is culminated because this was all created. This was all Machiavellianly arranged by Ensign Kim himself because now <laughs> he is no longer the lowest ranking member <laughs> on Voyager. And he pulled it off because right. he, he pushes Tom very slowly to go become an activist. We don't see it because that's how good he is. Right. right? He's been slowly being able to do this. And what, when you think he's practicing clarinet, he's actually uh, formulating plots to manipulate people because he's so sick of being Ensign Kim. Uh-huh. Anything, anything now, he can do. Right. Anything he can do. So, yes, he still is an Ensign, but he's not the only Ensign. Right. Now there is a hole in the, in the hierarchy. Yeah, that he can now fill. If I can't right. move up, I'm bringing everybody down. <laughs> well, he, a, a lieutenant has been demoted, and so there is a a power vacuum, a lieutenant a lieutenant vacuum, who <laughs> nobody likes. <laughs> lieutenant Joseph Vacuum is a is a terrible person. Nobody likes that guy. Right. Um, He's the one but, who gets sent back to save Picard. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but yes, yeah, so this is all. I mean, that's it's very you know it's very it's very deep in the subtext, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but it's there nonetheless. Yeah, and that is why I liked this episode. I actually liked this episode. Right, right. It is it is a proper genuine Star Trek episode, and I actually liked it. It's a yes, yes for me. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a yes for me, but it was just, I, I don't, yeah, it was just bland and I don't feel that it was delivered in, in a way for me to, to, to enjoy it. You know, like, uh, like I said, like the, the sci-fi was cool, but I don't feel that the sci-fi for the alien race was presented in, um, in an intriguing enough way for me, for me to enjoy that part. And knowing how it ended, there was just no no conflict there. Like when when Janeway was readying the torpedo, like I knew she wasn't going to hit the flyer in any specific way to cause permanent damage because Paris is the one telling the story. So, um, but see, we have we've had this conversation before. To me, like it's not it's not necessarily about oh, is Paris going to survive? It's about well, how are they going to get from point A to point B? Right, but. Yeah, and but I feel like for for this specific episode, because I do I do agree with you that, that there can be times where it's written well enough where I, I I even though I know how it ends, I still want to see how they get there. Um, this this was not written in that way. Like they're they're trying to build up the tension that she's aiming at the Delta Flyer, but she's not going to. Like it doesn't. There's no way that the photon torpedo is not is going to hit the Delta Flyer. Something is going to block it, or she's going to miss in some way that like I. I was not the the final five minutes of the episode, you know, where he's taking off like her fury towards him and her actions toward him just rang hollow because I knew he was going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things that drove me to like it, I guess. The first thing is the intrigue with the ancient gravitational device. Right. I really liked that. I felt like that was creative and interesting. It's uh-huh. too bad they weren't able to expound on it. But the other part, and this is kind of the morality of it. What? What well, was funny? Just that they weren't able to. I know, like they were. They were prohibited to to give all the details. Well, why else wouldn't they do it? They <laughs> were able to, but then didn't. Right. Clearly, clearly, they had that information, and we're like, oh no, we better not share that with the audience. Well, they were short on time. <laughs> It's not like they're like we don't have enough time. It's already fifty minutes. What are you going to do? Yeah, they had they had ten extra minutes, filled it with this, this other stuff, and they were like, "Oh, we never answered this question. Ow, we ran out of time." <laughs> that sounds very lost esque. What is this lost? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they set up that Janeway actually agrees with Tom Paris. Uh-huh. He agrees that these aliens are being stupid uh-huh. in their hubris, right? And short-sighted, but she can't do anything because this darn old prime directive. Yeah, that darn um, prime directive. That darn prime directive. So she has to essentially, even though she disagrees with how... Oh, well, Paris even said that. Sorry. Huh? He's like, your precious prime directive. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what you signed the up thing, for. <laughs> yeah, that thing you took an oath for? Right. Uh, that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she agrees with Paris, but has to act... Against that, she has to actually endanger one of her crewmen because of this, because of the prime directive. And I liked that. I liked that that kind of, I guess, moral quandary. That even though she, like, her her enemy in that moment was Tom Paris, right? And we were rooting for Tom Paris. I was rooting for him. I wanted, I wanted them to, I guess, destroy whatever. So they, so the alien race would be okay, you know. And they, and they didn't get that. Right, Janeway was the villain. Actually, yeah, <laughs> she was the one acting on behalf of these people who are going to destroy themselves anyway. 
Right. So I liked that kind of dynamic. Right. Yeah. And that's that's fair. Uh, I mean, I can I can concede that 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 is a, a good perspective to have on it. And it was an it was a nice approach for the two of them. Um, but but I just I I feel like it was too much of a, a heel turn since I, again, you know, is, is it about Janeway's character or is it my perspective? Like, I feel, I feel like had that been Seven or, or Chakotay or something, you know, that like she, she would have been more supportive of their side and defended them rather than agreeing with the aliens. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a perfectly executed script. Right obviously. Right. But I don't know. I, I was kind of fine with it. I did watch it at 1.5 speed. So maybe that's something. <laughs> maybe you, did you, I, I, I did. I, I yeah. feel like I'm always yeah. doing that. Really. The only ones I don't now are, uh, enterprise at times and never with next gen. Right. Those are paced so well that I wouldn't want to ruin that. But yeah, I don't know. I, 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 w- I was well enough entertained that I have to say, I have to be honest with myself that I did like it. And I have said in the past that this is my, you know, my, your guilty pleasure. Yep. Yep. My guilty pleasure. Yep. Yeah. And DS9 is one that you don't like, and I, I guess that has to be my guilty pleasure. Um, but but yeah, like I mean, I guess just to kind of go off of Voyager for a second, I I am I am surprised at how much I am enjoying Enterprise. I remember being very disinterested in it when it was first airing, but I am really enjoying the hell out of it this time around. Yeah, me too. I think that maybe because a lot of the ones that we've watched are in the later for some reason that's true for all of them actually in the later uh, seasons. Well, they're in like the seasons 3 4, which is the later for Enterprise, but it's kind of the middle ground for um for all the others. Right. So, but yeah. yeah. yeah you're right. I guess speaking of which, let's see what we're watching next. Again. Speaking of which, let's <laughs> see what we're what, third time's the charm. Speaking of which, let's see what we're watching next. Oh man, it is quite possibly the pinnacle of Star Trek. This is what all episodes be, are considered, are compared to. Um, it's TOS, mm. and it is City on the Edge of Forever. Mm. Now, see, I've never seen this. I mean, I, I know the episode by name, but okay. I've never seen it. Never okay. Seen it. Okay. So, um, you may or may not be right about that. Right? Yeah. No, I am. Because the, the, the pinnacle of Star Trek is, a, those, are, those are big words. Right. No, I know. Um, and I think actually it's, it's interesting that it comes up so, so close to the, um, time zero one, because I feel like both of those are kind of considered quality Star Trek episodes. And yeah, so it's TOS. It is episode 29 of season one. And the blurb says bones travels back to 1930s America and inadvertently destroys the future to reverse the damage. Kirk and Spock also go back and Kirk falls in love. Oh, Man, just remembering the episode, mm. it's so good. Oh, I mean, that sounds, just from the description, it sounds like the plot to Back to the Future. Yeah. More or less. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I already like it. And it's already not a Star Trek episode. Or a proper <laughs> Star Trek episode. Because there's no science fiction in it. Right. So, yeah, let's see if you're right. Okay, let's go watch it. Okay, 